Hello and welcome to Hyperfixations, the podcast where we invite various interesting people on to talk about their niche interests they could just talk forever about. Here are your hosts. I'm Ali. And I'm Nigel. And today we have Kira. Kira Benson. Kira, how are you? Good. I'm doing great. Thank you all so much for having me on this podcast. I'm really excited. Thank you for being on. And tell us what you're here to talk to us about today. Yeah, so I figured I would talk about one of my special interests, which is um, audio recording, engineering, and like mixing and mastering with sound stuff. So I just recently graduated this last spring um, with a degree in music performance and audio engineering. So yeah, that whole realm of music and sound production has been one of my longtime special interests. So I suppose suppose that begs the question then, how did you decide that like, Specifically from an audio um, editing and audio production standpoint, how did you get into that? Yeah, so um, when I was, um, I well, let me back up here. So I've played music since I was like three years old. I've played violin and sometime in middle school I picked up like singing and the guitar as well and songwriting. And I've always, you know, wanted to do that professionally, which is what I do now. But I realized a big barrier to that is not being able to record your own stuff. Like paying for studio time is really expensive and it's a huge barrier for like independent artists to be able to, um, you know, record their work. And I had like so many songs and recording projects that I wanted to do. So when I was 15, um, there was a program in my hometown that had like a studio that people in high school could come to and use and they had mentors there. It was a really cool program. Um, Mm -hmm. So I spent a lot of time at that studio um, starting to learn about audio recording and recording um, my first album. So yeah, that was kind of my first like introduction into that world. And I realized I really loved it. Like I didn't know I was autistic at the time. Like I didn't figure out I was autistic till I was in my twenties. But something that I really loved about audio recording even back then was like how much I could tweak all the little sounds. And like, I felt like my brain and my ears were just so sensitive to all the different like frequencies of sound that you hear like high ones and low ones and I really enjoyed that process of recording and trying to find ways to balance all of those sounds and I felt like it was also something I was really good at because I was really sensitive to all those different sound frequencies. Turns out I find out later that I'm autistic so of course that makes a lot of sense. why I'm I gravitate towards something that like lets me really play with like subtle intricacies of sound wave frequencies but yeah that's that's kind of um how I got started in it and how it has become one of my interests so like the like you were saying with producing the music and picking up on all the frequencies you'd say that was like a a positive sensor experience because like being autistic myself like I know that like a lot of times I talk about like negative sensory experiences, but like also there's nothing better than when you get a positive, when you get a positive like sensory experience. Yeah. And like, I feel like something that I've always noticed in music, like even when I'm just listening to other people's music is like my autistic brain will go, oh, wow, I really like that 
but there's not enough like bass tones. Like I'm not hearing enough like low end frequencies. It feels kind of empty. Or I'll hear something and I'll go like, wow, that has too much of like a tinny sound. And like a tinny sound is a certain frequency. Um, so like I've always noticed that, I've sorry, I've always noticed that when I've been listening to like other people's music. So having the opportunity to like learn about that process and create my own music has been a really cool sensory experience for me because I can go in and tweak a lot of that. Um, and when I was in college doing audio engineering, one of the really cool projects that we got to do with that was we would take really well-known songs. So like we got to remix and remaster um, Bohemian Rhapsody, which is obviously one of the most well-known songs. Um, and it was really cool to hear the original and how they mixed and mastered it and listen to that original and go, oh, wow, my brain would enjoy more treble frequencies in this. And my brain would enjoy like a little bit more piano. And like, it was so cool to like go in and really deconstruct such a well-known song and like use that as a learning experience to tweak how you're experiencing that song. I suppose... <sighs> I suppose I want to know because it seems like you do this to a somewhat professional degree and it's like I'm I'm really curious then like as to what your setup and process is because it's like the entirety of this podcast is edited on audacity and <laughs> and like you know I'm using a fairly basic um condenser mic for this but it seems like um it seems like at least somewhat of what you've learned is on a more professional or like better scale so uh, on a personal on a personal level i would like to know how and how you do it and what you use yeah absolutely um so i guess for me i did start out i have used audacity before um I will say with the first album, like the first software I learned to use was Logic X Pro, which is on Apple computers, which I will say is a really, really good software and the user interface for it is really good. Like, I feel like that's a big barrier to a lot of people learning about audio engineering is that the softwares um, that you use or like we call them DAWs, um, are often really hard to get the hang of like they're they don't have a great user interface so it takes a while to feel like you're fluent in them um and i feel like logic x was a great software for me to learn on because i was able to learn a lot of like how to's without having to slog through a complicated user interface um and after, after Logic X, because that was obviously on, like, the computer at this, like, studio I was, you know, working at, it wasn't, like, my personal computer, um, I started using Audacity, um, which has been really great, and I still sometimes use Audacity for just, like, quick demo stuff. I feel like Audacity also has a pretty good user interface, and the fact that it's, like, a simplified software means that it's not quite as, like, overcomplicated with stuff, so it's also a really great software for people getting started, um, just because, like, there are a lot of, like, complicated features on, like, Pro Tools, for example, um, or Ableton, that, like, 
you don't need unless you're doing it on like a big professional scale. And I think Audacity is really great in that it kind of scales that back so you can really have a great software to get started on. Um, I started using Pro Tools when I um, went to college because that is, that is the software that like my school used and that was really just like the school was like, hey, this is the software you have to get. This is what we're learning on. Um, and that's what I use now because that was like, you know, a pretty expensive software to invest in. Um, so I didn't really want to invest in another one after that. And because I did all of my like professional collegiate training on Pro Tools, I feel like it's the one I'm most fluent in. Um, but yeah, I'm sorry, I forget where we were going with this with the original question. Um, what were you asking, Nigel? Oh, basically just like, you know, what you use and how you've gone about, you know, how you've gone about it because you seem to uh, do it on a more professional level. Um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, obviously Pro Tools, I just mentioned that's the software that I use. And I mean, again, most of my fluency with Pro Tools has come from like taking college classes on it. But honestly, like YouTube is a great resource, great resource. Um, so many people have like channels that they will put out for for their like um, for different stuff on these recording softwares that like anytime I'm stuck on something, anytime I'm like, I'm using like a new plugin, um, which a plugin is just like, a, basically it's like, think you can think of a plugin kind of like a DLC for a video game. It's like extra information so you can do something special in the software. Mm -hmm. um, I can go more into that in a bit, but like whenever I'm using like a new piece of the software or I have a new plugin, I'll be like, okay, I want to YouTube how to use this because so much of audio engineering, like there's not, it's not a science, it's an art. So like, there's not like, you always set bass tones at, you know, this level, you always set this at this level. Like it's not a science, there aren't set rules. There are guidelines, but it really comes down to your personal style that you're trying to achieve or the style of the artist, the atmosphere, the genre of the music. Um, so I find it really helpful to watch a lot of different YouTube videos, especially when I'm working in like a new genre or with an instrument that I haven't worked with before. I'll be like, okay, I want to learn like what's the best way to go about like recording or mixing this instrument for this genre. Um, cause yeah, it's an, it's an art. There aren't set rules to it. Um, <clears throat> yeah, like for example, a rock song would be mastered much differently than like a punk song, for example, um, mixed, I'm sorry, not mastered, um, but mixed, like you emphasize different instruments within the genres, you know, with rock, obviously you're really emphasizing a very like, you know, present like electric guitar sound and you're really focusing on the balance between like rhythm guitar and lead guitar and that is usually a big driving force in a lot of rock songs um 
Whereas a lot of punk songs, um, depending on the vocalist's style, you know, you might have a different vocal style going, or there's usually like a more DIY recording sound going. Like it's not as clean. It's meant to sound more like gritty and DIY. Um, so that's a different recording style. Um, but yeah. Does... You mentioned... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Ellie. Uh, sorry. Um, you go ahead, Nigel. Oh, I was going to ask, um, does the challenges imposed by using a new plugin or attempting a, a, a new um, sort of style, does that inform your work or is it the opposite way around? Is it like, I want to do something with this challenge and see how that works? Or it's like, I want to do this and oh, just how do I get to this point? Honestly, both. I will say when I was in college, part of the training with that was we had to work with a lot of different genres because that was like the goal of the program to make you like a well-rounded audio engineer. Um, so there was definitely like, okay, week one, we're doing a punk song. Week two, we're doing a country song. Week three, we're doing like a singer-songwriter style. Like they would the program would take us through a lot of different styles that we had to work with and learn with. Um, I would say more of what I do now for my own work, like my own music, um, is I will hear something really cool, like I'll hear someone use electric violin in a really cool way and I'll be like, I want to use that in my in my song. That sounds cool. And then I'll be like, okay, how do I do that? And I'll start like researching that i might look into like okay can i find other people who talk about recording electric violin in this way um is the mixing engineer listed on that track like do they have a youtube channel or social media or any resources that i can learn from what plugins were used on that track um so that's a lot of what i do in my personal work um but again if i was like contracted to do any work in a genre that I was less familiar with, I would definitely have to be like, okay, I haven't worked a lot in this genre before. I need to do some research to figure out like, what are some of the like standards and normal practices of this genre? Yeah. Cause I suppose art is really, uh, especially, especially music. It's as much influenced by what you as an artist can do as what you can't. Like I feel limitations almost form more of how art gets done you know it's like oh we have only this amount of studio time or we only have uh this like particular instrument that we have to work with or you know this particular software which does this yeah absolutely um yeah i absolutely agree with that and i feel like it's also one of those things where the more you know the more you can like push the boundaries and experiment more like it's like whenever i start working with a new genre i'm like okay this is new for me i'm gonna you know follow the conventions follow the norms follow what people are typically doing with this and then after that i'll be like once i get to know the genre better i'll be like wow what if i try this i haven't heard someone try this before i'm gonna experiment with that like it's kind of like you have to like know the rules to break the rules if that makes yeah. sense yeah. Mm. yeah 
which yeah. I feel like is a big theme in a lot of art because definitely that's been like a big theme. Like my other like part of my degree was performance work and it was kind of like, okay, when you're performing a song or when you're composing or when you're doing anything with your art, learn the rules so you can break the rules was like a really reoccurring theme in my education. And in all of my experience, that has been absolutely spot on. Yeah, That's like, I mean, are, are you aware of the band The Mountain Goats, Kira? Yes, I love The Mountain Goats. Yeah, oh yeah, so you're familiar then with um, the album Goths, which I think their approach to that was really, I think was really in interesting. For those of you who don't know, do you do you know them, Ali? Uh, I know the song No Children. Of course. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm not going to get into my feelings on that anyway. Um, so they're predominantly known for like acoustic guitar and vocals because um, for a large part it was just one guy, John Darnielle, and then they got like a full band. So you got drums and you got bass and piano and stuff. And so that's that. But it's primarily like acoustic guitar and vocals. And then for the 2017 album Goths, they were like, well, what if we just don't bring a single guitar into the studio and see what comes up with? So you end up with like a lot more. I suppose like jazz influenced stuff and like you got a, like a, a proper orchestra choir thing on one of the songs. You know, yeah. they, they just threw away everything that uh, had like all the preconceived notions. They were like, you know what, we're doing something different. They learned the rules so they could break it. Absolutely. And I feel like you see that in um, a lot of like, I tend to have a lot of respect for artists who do that. Um, I mentioned Bohemian Rhapsody before, and I really love Queen's work as a band, and that's mm. one thing that you see a lot in their music, like their albums and eras, like their 70s music versus their 80s music has like a completely different vibe, because um, they were like, okay, what are we, what are we doing that's new? Yeah, now now that you point that out, that like I mean, when you compare Bohemian Rhapsody to like Flash and then to like the show must go on, they they're so different. The show in must vibes. go on. The show must yeah. go on. I think that might be, sorry for a sidetrack, but I think that might be, it's not my favorite song of all time. It's definitely in my top five. Yeah. And I mean, like, if you listen to like, they use like, um, a drum machine for like the song, like another one bites the dust. Like you hear that yeah. very, like electronic, like boom, 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 boom. Like that. <laughs> That's so different from their previous work. Really, like, Ali, I know you are a fan of Lord as well. Um, mm. but, Who isn't? Like, <laughs> I don't know, but like, if you're not a fan of album, Lord, you should be. <laughs> with Lord's new album, like she has notoriously spoken how much she like really dislikes guitars on her previous work, and you can hear that with like Pure Heroin and Melodrama. Like it's a lot more like piano driven um in a lot of ways um and has you know more electronic instruments but then with her new album solar power it has like a completely different vibe and there's so much more of that that's driven by like these really like wandering kind of slow ethereal electric guitar sounds absolutely like solar power was like a completely different um was like a completely different sound to anything she'd done before and like not sure how you feel about because it, it was been quite a divisive album but like i quite enjoy it i think that like it was interesting to hear her go in a different direction and a direction that i think was pretty cool 
Yeah, absolutely. No, it's definitely a different vibe than her other albums. And like, I know a lot of people are like upset about it, but like, I do really enjoy it as an album. And I just, in general, I really have a lot of like artistic respect for artists who are trying different things all the time. And I feel like when you're trying different yeah. things, you're not going to have a mega hit every time because you're trying different things but it grows you so much as an artist to do that. Hmm. Absolutely. And when you think about it, Lord was like 16 when Pure Heroin was released. Like, obviously, her music is going to sound different now. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, another example um, would be like St. Vincent. I'm not sure if you're familiar with any of her songs. I'm familiar Found? with her as a concept only. But yeah, sounds um, familiar, but I don't know what I know any of her songs. Yeah, I, I really like her music, um, but she's another artist. She like really consistently does different vibes with each one of her albums very intentionally. And I have a lot of respect for that. Um, but mm. yeah. In our episode we did with Sam on Pearl Jam, we talked about kind of like the concept of legacy bands and like, you know, they're still trucking around making similar enough music to what they were doing in the 70s and 80s. And I, I suppose then... I wanted to know what your thoughts were on bands who do that, who are still around when they kind of don't really have any real purpose being around or bands like um, the Red Hot Chili Peppers or Blink-182 who have basically made the same song for 40 years. Yeah. I mean, I think it's an artistic choice, honestly. Like, I feel like as an artist for myself, I always want to be like pushing myself and trying new things because that is what really draws me to art um is that creative space um and i feel like a lot of those bands like they're existing in their comfort zone they know what music their audience likes they have a formula and they don't really want to move outside of that comfort zone and like <clears throat> that's a choice i'm not gonna like openly criticize that per se um, but at the same time, like, it does distinctly put you in a creative box. Because what if you're in the process, what if you're in the studio and you find a really cool plug-in that makes your electric guitar sound funky, and you like that, but you know it's not within your sound box that you've set up for yourself. Now you're stuck. You can't try that cool new thing because it's not within the box that you've set up for yourself. Mm. The dilemma, like, for sure. You mentioned um, earlier, you mentioned, like, mixing and mastering, like, um, could you explain those a bit, like, um, for people who don't know, like, or, like, what are they, what's the difference, like, what does it all mean? Yeah, for sure. Um, so, mixing is when, so, I'll just start with the recording process. You will record your instruments and you'll be like okay we're laying down drums usually you do rhythm instruments first because if you have a lead vocalist who's gonna wander all over the place and not stick with the rhythm and then you record drums after that everything's gonna sound out of time and it's gonna be a little bit sloppy so usually you'll be like okay we're getting drums we're getting bass we're getting rhythm guitar we're getting you know Lead guitar, we're getting, you know, violin, anything else, and you're just kind of building the song from the ground up. And then once you have like a really strong rhythmic vibe that just sounds like a karaoke version of a song, then you're like, okay, now it's time for vocals. Because that lets that vocalist really be in the vibe of the song and hearing all of the other instruments that are going to be going on. Um, 
But once you have all this, you're gonna have a bunch of different levels. Your drums are probably gonna be really loud and your bass might be kind of quiet. And you, you know, you're gonna have different levels. You don't want to leave everything at the level you recorded it at because that's gonna sound weird. Okay. It's the same thing like yeah. if you think about a live show. When you have a live show, it's like, okay, we're gonna mic this instrument. We're gonna mic this instrument. Um, for smaller venues, like if you've been to like DIY, like pubs and bars and stuff, they're probably not miking their drum set, but they're absolutely miking their lead vocalist. So if you think about like, if you don't adjust the sound, it's going to sound like a hot mess. Like have, I'm sure we've all heard the song where you're just like, this was a good song, but the vocals are way too low. Like I can't even hear what they're saying, you know? Mm. Yeah, Gerard so, Way's first solo album after MCR was really just awfully mixed, I think. Yeah. Okay, it sounded perfect. so fuzzy. I'm glad, I'm glad you have a reference for that, because I will use that. Unfortunately, vocals being too low in the mix, I feel like is a really common problem I hear with DIY music. Like so many DIY bands that I hear that I'm like, y'all, this was a great song, but I cannot hear your lead vocalist. That's kind of a problem. Um, and I mean, it can depend on the genre. Some like some punk music, you may just want more of the instrumentals and the vocals are kind of an afterthought. It, 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 it can depend on the artistic choice, but that's a common, <clears throat> common mistake I hear that will bother me. Um, but yeah, what was I saying? Oh, mixing. So basically, that's mixing. That is being like, wow, the drums too too high too high we're gonna turn those down a little bit we're gonna turn the vocals up a little bit and that's also where you're gonna start adding plugins so i mentioned plugins earlier they're like an add-on to your software so one of the common plugins is called compression and compression basically takes like if you have a lot of dynamics like you have a lot of lows and highs it can be really hard to mix because you'll turn something up and you'll be like, wow, that sounds really good. But then the track itself will have a higher volume later on and then it's too loud in the mix. So it can be hard to mix when you have like a huge wide range of dynamics. So you'll take a compression plugin and compression will squeeze that dynamic range down. So basically you'll end up with a track that sounds louder and more present and has a more consistent volume. Um, and that's a whole art form in and of itself because if you add too much compression, it sounds really squeezed and monotone. And if mm. you don't add enough, then it's like too in the background and hard to mix. Um, so yeah, the mixing stage is where you're adjusting volume of individual tracks to get that good balance, but you're also adding plugins. Another really common plugin is um, called EQ. And basically EQ looks at the entire frequency of sounds that your microphone picked up. Maybe it picked up from 20 hertz to 20,000 hertz. And you're like looking at that frequency and going, okay, we recorded the bass. The bass really lives, you know, between like 
60 hertz, maybe 120 hertz. That's like a range I'm looking for the bass in. And it's gonna mm -hmm. depend on your amp and like what bass line you were playing. I don't need the bass, like whatever sounds have been recorded that the microphone picked up that were above like 120, maybe 160 hertz is not gonna be really useful sound. That's probably background noise from the room. That's people shifting on the carpet. That's you breathing. That's the air conditioner, you know? It's like not helpful noise to have. So in EQ, it cuts that out. I'm just gonna be like, cool. I only want you to play sounds that are between this frequency and that frequency. Don't play sounds that are outside of those frequencies. So that's a really easy way to clean up your mix. And it's also a really good way to, you know, manage any background noise or other weird noises. There are a lot of instruments like the violin, for example. Um, it can have like a really, like the electric violin can have a really like tinny sound almost. And it's not a good sound. So I'll be scrolling the EQ frequencies and being like, okay, where does that tinny sound exist? Because that tinny sound is not the whole spectrum of frequencies. That tinny sound is a specific range of frequencies. Maybe, you know, it depends on where it is, but it, it might be at like 500 hertz. And we're like, okay, so I'm just gonna pull that down a bit. And then when you listen to the sound again, you're like, wow, that sounds really good. It still sounds full-bodied, but I'm not getting as much of that tinny noise, you know? So you're kind of like, you're, I'm almost imagining, like, nearly kind of being like the detective, like, you know, trying to figure out, okay, what is causing this and how can I fix it? Exactly, which is where I feel like my autism and, like, sensory stuff really helps me because my hearing, like, my... My relationship with my hearing as far as how that affects me sensorily is like really strong. Like I'll hear something, I won't be like, I don't like that frequency. That's a bad frequency. What is that? And yeah, I'll go into detective mode and I'll be like, get that out of there. No. Something that we learned in college that my audio engineering professor told us was like, okay, mixing a song and you've got it in a pretty good place. Listen through to it. What stands out to you in a good way and what stands out to you in a bad way? And I'll be, and I'll like, and that sounds like such a simple thing, but when you'll listen through a song, you'll be like, wow, I really enjoyed that. The hi-hat on the drums, too much though. And you can pull it down a little bit. So, yeah. What is a hi-hat? I keep hearing this in terms of drums and I presume it is a type of Actually, I don't know the word for it. Thing you hit on the drums, a specific percussion piece, maybe? I don't know what a hi-hat is. Part of the drum kit. Ah. Um, so, like, for each of the drums, like, you'll see a drum kit. Each of them has, like, a different name. So, like, the big one at the bottom that gets hit with that big fluffy, like, <coughs> mallet thing, that's a kick drum. The hi-hat is those two cymbal looking things that are like mushed together and you play it with a pedal. So they'll just be like and they're like mushing together when you hit the pedal. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure a great way to describe that, but like if you Google a picture of it or like YouTube like hi-hat, um, you'll hi -hat get a good idea most. of what that is. Oh, those. So that's what a hi-hat is. 
Yeah, so they're not the cymbals you hit where you get that big like crash cymbal sound. They're like the 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 kind of like less notable like They're off to one side. It's yeah. Ah. Yeah, um, no, I've I've definitely seen it um referenced in videos on YouTube where people are doing like, you know, they'll come up with a beat based off of like, there's one I saw of like a clip of Donald Trump speaking or something where they turned it into a song. <laughs> They're like, oh, we're making a hi-hat out of like this, or, you know, we're making a hi-hat out of a different clip of someone sneezing or, you know, but I've always been like, what yeah. exactly is a hi-hat? And then I've been too lazy to Google it. So I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. And like, I am not a drummer. My wife is, so we would have to ask her, but like, I know with drumming, there's like, when they say make a beat out of a hi-hat or a specific drum it's like there's a kind of standard of okay you're holding the beat with the kick drum you're using this to accent like the two and the four or whatever like i know each of the drums has like a specific use so to speak for making the beat i don't know specifically i should learn about that but i am not a drummer um, but yeah, like I know that's a thing when they say they're making a hi-hat with this, that's to hold down a specific part of the rhythm. So, ah. like, obviously you're a musician yourself, like, um, you mentioned a bit about the mixing, like, and how it all, like, um, looks for you, um, of all the, like, things with mixing, like, what would be your, for, like, I suppose, part of this question would be kind of like talk a bit about like what genres of music you particularly like to work with and also like what kind of specific parts of the mixing and maybe what instruments you need to or like to use for your music sorry that yeah, was completely absolutely. all over the place no you're so good so um i would say like the music i make is like anywhere in the like bedroom pop indie folk kind of zone um, mm -hmm. my first album was country music because I was raised in the Midwest, which I, I don't know if you have any context for that in Ireland, but I'll just say whatever country bumpkin, like hay baling, barn dance, American stereotype nonsense is in your head right now. That's the Midwest. It's a hundred percent accurate. Um, <laughs> Whatever image is in your head when you want to make fun of Americans, it's probably an image from the Midwest. Um, unless so, it's of California. Yeah, unless you want to make fun of Californians. That's another That's another thing. Um, but yeah, I, I'm thinking like stereotype Americans with a hamburger, riding a tractor in a flannel shirt, like that, that image. Um, you love a good yeah. flannel. Hey, I, I I would like to think that as a lesbian, I have I have repurposed flannels. You've reclaimed it, like yeah, from toxic cis men. I, I I have I have taken back the flannel. Absolutely. But yeah. So anyway, I country music was like what I was raised in, and I don't vibe with that as much now for my own style. I've kind of um, moved more into the folk and bedroom pop genres. Um, but yeah, that, that's a lot of what I do for my own music, so I really like working with that genre. I've also played a lot of rock and bluegrass and country, so like 
if someone wants me to do work on one of those, like if they're like, hey, I need you to master a rock song, like I could do that. I'm very familiar with the genre. Um, yeah. I would say like rap and hip hop are the genres that I'm probably the least familiar with um, of like the main genres in the Western world or whatever. Um, but yeah, those are kind of some of where I sit with genre stuff. Um, I do really like, like I play electric violin and that has a huge potential for like um, experimentation and so many different like plugins and sounds um, and cool things that you can do with that. Um, that's probably one of my favorite things to experiment with in the studio. As far as my favorite things to mix, I love mixing vocals. I really do. Vocals are just so cool and so fun to mix. Um, and you can really dig into them and obsess about them for hours. Um, so yeah, I, I love mixing vocals. That's probably one of my favorite things in the process. Um, yeah. Forget what the rest of that question was. No, it was just like about like like you know like like you said for the genres that you like like to work with. Um, what would be the like I don't want to say rules because like you said like when you know the rules you can break the rules, but like the things the mixing things you like to do or like that are like common in the genre although i suppose you answer that like with the vocals yeah i mean most of the genres i'm doing like um you know if you hear my music it's pretty central around the vocals and i like working like i really like vocals i like lyrics i like the storytelling aspect they have i like how versatile vocals are so yeah. i really like working with genres that basically have a lead vocalist and then i like to use my other instruments like guitar or electric violin to kind of build um to build like build a scene basically it's like the set for someone delivering a speech you're like okay how are we like what are the what story is the vocals telling us like what are we what are we doing with that like not to go back to Lord. I love Lord. She's one of my big influences. <laughs> but like she does that really well. She has an incredibly prominent vocal style. All of her songs are centered around her voice. She's using instruments to kind of create the mood. Like if you listen to the instruments, you're like, okay, this piano line, it's like, you know, it's sitting in a minor key. It's like, you know, arpeggiating back and forth, which can kind of create some like tension or anxiety um or like in from a song from her recent album like oceanic expression she's using like crickets and really like ethereal type of sounds actually it's cicadas my bad um she's using a lot of like environmental type of sounds to really set the stage for the story she's trying to tell you so that's kind of how i like to build songs i like to write the lyrics and the vocal line and be like okay how can I set the stage for this story? <coughs> Absolutely. Absolutely, like, because that's what it is. It's, like, it's a story, like, a lot of times with songs. Yeah, I mean, music is a story. It's something that is supposed to trigger your emotions. And I kind of see music as, this is another thing I learned in performance school. I'm not trying to tell you my story. I'm trying to give you a space 
to impose your own story on this. Like when you think about listening to music, like sure, I'm sure, you know, with your biggest fan artist, like artists that you're fans of, you're like thinking about what inspired them when they wrote it. But I am guessing most people when they listen to music are thinking about their own experiences. I relate to this song. I feel something in this song. This makes me consider something in a new way. And that's really the experience you want to give. You don't want to force your story down their throat, so to speak. You want to be able to set the stage as an artist for them to have their own emotional experience in the music. Yeah, I'm reminded of... Oh, sorry. No, no, I wasn't saying anything. All right. I'm reminded of a quote by um, the composer Claude Debussy, which is, um, music is the space between the notes, which I think really speaks to this, where it's like what you read into it makes the music unique to you, even though you're all hearing the same song. It's what you've put into the gaps between the instruments and the words. You go, oh, that's me. Absolutely. Absolutely. 110%. And I feel like that was a mistake that I made as a younger artist. And often I see other people making the same mistake as well as they're like, I want to be understood. I need you to understand my story. This is my story. This is my song. And it's like, it's really not. It was inspired by your experiences, but as an artist, you're giving someone an, a space to have their own experience. Like, that's the real power of music. Yeah, there's, like, it's often been said, like, I think, I could be wrong, but I feel like David Bowie might have said something similar where he said, like, um, the, the person's interpretation of the music, of the lyrics, is more important than, like, the like artist meaning behind the lyrics because like the art like whatever about like what the artist means but like your interpretation like that's ultimately everyone's going to come away with different interpretations of it like yeah absolutely and i mean like you'll see that with famous artists people will be like oh did they write this about their breakup with so and so like there's always some speculation with bigger artists around like Taylor what Swift. inspired the song yeah. Sorry, Ali, absolutely. what were you saying? No, I was just saying, like, <laughs> Taylor Swift. Yeah, definitely. Um, or, yeah, there's tons of stuff around that um, with bigger artists. But, like, ultimately, I'm going to guess when people are listening to their music for their own purpose rather than just, like, their speculation on their life, they're relating to those words. They're relating to those lyrics. They're going, oh, I had an experience that reminded me of this. This really reminds me of my last relationship. This, you know, really captures a memory that I have, you know? Absolutely, for sure. And I mean, circling back to audio engineering, you have a big chance when you're mixing a song what are you emphasizing? How are you creating that atmosphere? That is what recording is about, is creating an atmosphere with the music. You have your music, that's your bass, and you're recording it and you're editing it in ways that give it the vibe you want. Like, that's the power of that, is I'm sure there are plenty of songs that we could hear like a demo version of and still go, wow, those are really amazing songs. Like they're just that powerful. I imagine there mm. are also a lot of songs that are, you know, they're very good songs, but what makes them good 
is the recording and the producer and the audio engineer really helped to set such a good stage and base for you to have that experience. Yeah, do you think, do you have any example of that, like of the idea of like, you know, doing a certain thing with audio engineering to like create the atmosphere, either like, you know, a personal thing with one of your own songs or, or like another artist that you feel like you can see like that they may have made a certain decision to accentuate a certain mood? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I will say, um, I'm trying to think um, of some different good examples here. Um, I don't know, you can think about if y'all are familiar with like Hans Zimmer, that music is like, you know, always like, it's yeah. movie soundtrack music. It's very imaginative. Um, and the way that's recorded, that's recorded in a big space, which has a lot of reverb often, or you're hearing certain instruments that are brought out more. Like he uses horns a lot to symbolize the return of something. So those horns are accentuated. You wouldn't feel that like powerful move towards the return of something or like that like movie magic type of feeling. If the horns were just sitting way back in the orchestra and no one paid attention to them, I guarantee when they were mixing that, they took the horns and they were like, okay, here's your solo. And they turned it up and they EQ'd it and they compressed it and they put it right in a place where you could really hear it well, you know? Um, yeah. So I'm trying to think of, um, yeah, some, some other examples. I mean, we talked about like with vocals and like, taking it back to like vocals and autistic brain if you're spending the entire song distracted about how low the vocals are in the mix or if you're spending the entire song just struggling to hear what the lyrics are saying you're not having an artistic magical emotional experience you're distracted by nonsense so that's another big yeah. part of it too is you want want your mix to sound so natural and so right for the mood that people aren't distracted by it. Like, I'm not going to be drawn to a song that I'm struggling to hear an instrument on or that is poorly mixed or that someone turned the drums up so loud that all I hear is bang, 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 bang when I'm trying <laughs> to pay attention to the music. You know, it like it's also it's not just about how can it give you this ethereal experience? It's about, okay, what are we doing to avoid distraction and annoyance? Yeah, I can imagine. Is when you're mixing a when you're mixing a song, when you're like producing a song, how like with the with the process of like producing a song, I can imagine like like, do you know, do you, when you sit down, are you kind of like, okay, I know I need to do like X, Y, and Z to like, before I'm finished? Or is it kind of more of a, like you start and then like, when it's finished, you kind of, like you kind of, when you know, you know, like when it sounds right. Ah, oh, you have hit on, you have hit on the ethereal, the, on the like existential question of audio engineers, <laughs> because we are notorious for like, over tweaking things like we'll just sit there to like 3 a.m with taco bell going it's not perfect yet it can always be more perfect 
problem. You can overwork your songs. You do have to know when to stop. Um, but in answer to your question, I feel like there are certain things that I will know going in. I know that I'm going to EQ every instrument. With what I explained about EQ, yeah. every instrument has a range and I don't want all of the nonsense that's outside of that instrument's range in, in the music. It's not helpful. So I know going in that I'm going to EQ every instrument. I have a general process with vocals that I'm like, okay, I'm probably going to compress them. I'm probably going to put a de-esser on, which the S, like, you'll probably hear it on this podcast, but, like, you'll hear a lot of, like, sound really emphasized and certain vocalists do it worse than others just based on like their singing style their accent whatever um but mm. a de-esser will take that back so it's not as jarring um so i know that there are certain things that i'm going to do to the vocals i know my electric violin always comes out a little bit tinny i know i'm gonna tweak that and you know, tweak that in EQ and maybe add a plug-in to give it some more warmer tones, um, stuff like that. So there are certain things that when I sit down to work with a song, I know I'm going to have to do going in. And I always start with those. I'm like, okay, let me start with the stuff that I know I'm going to have to do. And then after I do yeah. that, I'll be like, okay, now, now that I've done the stuff that I know I have to do, what is still missing? What do I want more of? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can imagine like part of it is like experience as well. Like after however many years you said you've been um, doing audio engineering, I think you said since you were in 15. Yeah, I've done it on and off. I didn't do it as much for the first two years. Like, so I did it for part of high school and then like I didn't have access to a studio or the equipment for another like couple years after that. And then I got back into it. And then when I went to college, you know, I really got into it. Um, so it's been on and off since I was 15. Yeah. With, like I said about experience, like I suppose when you've been doing it for that long, like you you're like you said yourself you 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 start to learn things after a while you know like kind of think like okay i know i'm gonna have to do this i know i'm gonna have to like um like compress this and like you do that like um so some of it is like down to experience do you feel like as you go on you kind of you know more of you know more from the get-go of what you want to do to a song absolutely and you just learn like more plugins and more techniques to make that sound good. And some of it is like, are you working with your own song or are you working with someone else? If I'm working with someone else, I may not know what their guitar is gonna sound like. I can have a general idea of what I'm gonna do to a guitar, but I may not know exactly. Whereas like with my violin, I know exactly what my violin is gonna sound like. I've EQ'd it a hundred times and I know what I'm gonna have to do to it in general. I know it's gonna sound tinny. I know I'm gonna have to take off the bottom end in the frequency range. Like there are certain things I know that I'm gonna have to do to it. And some of that is just down to knowing your own instrument. Same for me as a vocalist. Every vocalist has a different style, a different range, a different way they're singing. I know my own voice and I'm like, okay, I know what I'm going to have to do to my own voice to, you know, adjust it a little bit. Yeah. And I can imagine again with the, like, if you're mi mixing someone else's like song, there is more of a, there's obviously more of a collaboration because like you'd be, like, you'd be saying like, 
oh, like, what kind of vibe are we going for? What kind of sound are we going for? Like, would that be right? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, yeah, that part of that is just like figuring out like what's important to them. What vibe are they going for? What genre is it? You know, usually you always mix with a reference track as well. So um, you'll pick a track that sounds kind of like what you want your song to sound like. And you'll go, okay, what do I like about this? How did they mix the bass? How is everything setting in the mix? What did they do with the vocals? So usually when you're working with someone that you haven't worked with before, you're asking them, you're like, okay, give me like three reference tracks. What tracks really encompass your sound? And they can be previous tracks mm. the band has done, or just there's like a standard list in audio engineering of like really well done reference tracks for different genres. Like I could Google like, okay, famous rock song reference tracks. And you know, I would get a list of like really artistically well done, well mixed, well mastered pieces. And I'm listening to those and I'm going, okay, that's a good sound. How did they get that? What am I doing with mine? You know, stuff like that. Yeah, so there's a lot of research that goes into it. Absolutely. You've mentioned a couple of times that like um you use that you use YouTube um YouTube tutorials to um like sorry what's the word um to like help you with your like with learning like new things like do you have any specific channels that like you would be looking to recommend anyone who's maybe looking to get into audio engineering or who's already into audio engineering and maybe wants to like know some people they should be watching out for um this is gonna sound bad i honestly don't i usually just go <laughs> i will type in the youtube search bar problems with pro tools whatever i'm having issues <laughs> how to use pro tools distortion effect or whatever and usually i'll just watch like the first three videos that come up um so yeah very valid um I, also i will say like there are some like i this is me being biased this is absolutely me being biased but like if the first three videos that come up if one of them looks like a super douchey like cis white dude who's just gonna mansplain things to me i'm gonna be like oh, i'm skipping that one like there it is a unfortunately a field dominated by like cis white men so there's a lot of like videos of like i don't know <laughs> there are certain channels Man's that Spanish. i feel like are are just like toxic cis men thinking they're better than everyone so if i like start watching a video and i get that vibe i'm like mm -mm, we're not doing this i'm gonna like x out of this before my blood pressure like goes into the danger zone yeah yeah which unfortunately like my other special interest is like mechanics and working on cars which let me tell you that is mm. also a field full of like <laughs> cis white wildly toxic like this is just a curse of being a butch maybe i just like gravitate towards fields that are dominated by cis white men and then i'm like wow excellent hate this i feel Terrible. like i feel like the kind of it kind of has the vibes of like you know when like a woman or like someone who might be perceived as a woman wears like a band t-shirt like and then like for he like you know like james and all his friends like just come in being like name like 20 other songs that, yeah. that happened to me while I was at the hairdressers the other day. Uh, but it's what? like, but it's like, there was like I was very like masculine presenting, 
at the time. And it was mm. so weird because the dude, oh, the dude was like such a creepy old man, but he was like, oh, asking me what type of music was I into? And I was like, oh, you know, like acoustic guitars and stuff, like very indie music. And he's like, mm, and what would you define as like really indie music? Go on, say something at me, say it and see whether I know it. But then also oh. he had that exact same attitude towards hair is really weird because I was like, can I get my hair thinned out? And he was like, and what effect do you think um, thinning the hair will have? And I'm just like, I'm just like, it will make it less thick. And he just went, hmm. And that's the exact fucking, oh, that's the exact attitude that cis white men have whenever um, female presenting people wear band t-shirts. I fucking hate it. That sucks. I'm so sorry that happened to you, but yeah, I feel like they're almost like just looking for A, something to criticize to validate their own ego, or B, something where they can jump in and mansplain a thing to you. Like they're not actually listening. They're just like, how can I make this about me and my ego? Yeah, like that's, that's, see, that's the thing. Like I was saying this actually recently. And I see it a lot like as someone who, I see it as a lot as someone who's into like media and like media criticism and stuff and I watch some reviewers and myself and my brothers were talking about this one guy who just, a lot of his reviewer, his reviews were very kind of condescending towards people who disagreed with him and like kind of constantly making straw mans and I was just saying like, he doesn't like movies, he likes provoking people and feeling smart. Yeah, no, it's, it's... It's bad. Yeah, and I can imagine that, like you said, like with audio engineering, like and things like that, there are some like certain people like who just have that kind of attitude. Yeah, unfortunately, it is way too common. Yeah, um, a question I wanted to ask when you like you mentioned this kind of before um, about how now you've got so much access and so do you, do you think that's a good thing um for the landscape of audio engineering where you have free open source audio editing software like audacity and you've got you know you can look it up on youtube or if you want like more in-depth stuff you can just get like a course on skillshare or you know linda or any of those ones which are definitely not sponsoring this episode of this podcast um <laughs> sponsored by skillshare yeah um, yeah, I mean, like, I think I, that's one of the things I love about audio engineering is like, there's so many resources out there to learn. Like I was completely self-taught before I, you know, got into college. And I mean, I had some mentors who showed me some things, so I guess I can't say completely self-taught, mm -hmm. but like, yeah, I, I love that there are so many courses out there and things that you can do with it and keep learning because it's something that you're always going to keep learning about. I mean, like to compare it to my other job, I do social media management as my other job, but like you always have to be learning because stuff is always changing in that field because social media moves so fast. And it's the same way with audio engineering. There's always new technology. There's always new plugins. There's always new stuff you have to be learning about. So having like community like that where i can just jump on and take a class watch a youtube video you know it's really helpful i can imagine it never gets boring then like there's always something new to learn in a way 
Yeah, which is a really good hyperfixation to have, to be honest. Or like, I guess for me, it's like a special interest. Um, I know the podcast is called Hyperfixations. Um, it's all yeah. like, well, like you know, it's a general, a general kind of like hyperfixations used in a slightly like liberal sense. Yeah, although yeah, definitely we have uh, this is now the point to make the announcement we have copyrighted the word hyperfixation so anytime anyone says it they now owe us royalties <laughs> slash s slash s uh, that, that that's not real <laughs> yeah no for legal reasons that's a joke yeah i i love the for legal reasons this is a joke um yeah my lawyer told me i have to say this is a joke yeah for all the people on TikTok who are like, I'm saying this is a joke just so I don't get reported, but like, this is real. Yeah. <laughs> only in Minecraft. Only in Minecraft. Only a leftist in Minecraft, you know. Yeah. This is all this is all just hypothetical. Yeah. yeah. Hi hypothetical. Not nothing to see here. Yeah, it's all it's all good. Um but yeah, I don't know. It, it is yeah. a really quickly changing field all the time. So yeah, it, it's it's good to have, you know, resources like that to learn. Um, and I mean, there are also like community resources like, you know, Reddit threads and stuff, which I find, you know, per the usual are overrun by toxic cis white men. Um, oh so yeah, Reddit is kind of the engage. worst. Yeah, I don't tend to engage in those as much, but they do exist as resources if you need them. Um, I feel like with Reddit, you kind of have to know, to a certain point at Reddit, you kind of have to know the subreddit, like, sub subreddits, like, are, like, are grand and chill, and then other ones I wouldn't touch with, like, a 10-foot pole. I, yeah, I, I don't tend to spend a lot of time on Reddit, um, for a variety of reasons, mostly just yeah, because, yeah. like, as a dyslexic person, the format of it kind of tends to bug my brain out a bit, um, Okay. Yeah. 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 And do you think then that, like, as technology evolves, it will kind of change the landscape of audio engineering um, too drastically? You know, do you think it'd be unrecognizable if you look at the two points, uh, like now and let's say 10 years in the future, without looking at the in between? Or do you think it'll stay roughly the same? Um, I mean, I'll use an example from history because history repeats itself. Um, audio engineering looked wildly different when we were recording on eight track tapes versus the way we record now just digitally. Um, With a bot in a Discord server. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's not unrecognizable though. You're still using a lot of the same things. They still used compression. They still used EQ. They still used, you know, recording techniques with microphone placement. So it's not unrecognizable. It's just, there's a, a different means to an end, if that makes sense. Like there's a different way to get there. For sure. Just like with anything else, I suppose. It's it just, grow. It, it's like, just the format has changed, but like, same idea. Yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna ask you a question, and like, you're gonna ask me a question. So, um, name something that you like dislike about audio engineering, and something that you like, maybe your favorite thing about audio engineering. And you can name more than oh. one. Like. 
My favorite thing about it, I feel like, is um, how much it tickles my brain. Like, how much I can just, like, zone in on something and really, like, mm. be working on it and have so many options to tweak it and experiment with it. Like, it's just a whole new world to exist in as an artist. Um, I, I love it. Um, and like I said previously, working on vocals is one of my favorite things to do. Make your brain go bleep. Yes. <laughs> and is there anything that you maybe dislike about it or that you're not as gone on it as you would be on other aspects? I mean, we already talked about cis white men. <laughs> but I would say as they, far they, as root, the actual, they rooted everything. I would say as far as the actual project goes, um, I am less into MIDI instruments, which is when you're like, you know, instead of performing something live, you're like, oh, I need to come up with it. You know, I'm going to play a bass line on my keyboard and the computer will make the bass line for me. That's fine. It's not my favorite thing to do. Um, so I'm probably less hmm. into work with MIDI instruments. Fair. Sure. And as a kind of like, uh, almost like a closing question or like maybe one of the closing questions, um, depending on whether Nigel has anything. Uh, do you have any like kind of like goals with audio engineering at the moment? Like anything you're learning, anything you're working on at the moment? Yeah, I am uh, working on um, some songs with my wife. She also plays a lot of instruments, so we have recorded some songs together and I've been working on mixing and mastering those. So uh, yeah, they will be up on my Spotify eventually. Nice. I feel like that's a good place to wrap it up, unless you have anything else. Yeah, I think that's it. Thank you both so much for having me on. This has been a lot of fun. And yeah, I can't wait to hear the episode. Really has. Kira, where can we find you? you? Can, Anything you sorry, want? Just, you can listen back to him and critique all of the um, audio editing on this. Be like, mm. Honestly, I've done actually very little work with podcasts and spoken word audio editing, which is a whole different thing than music. So I, I, I promise I'm, I will not be that critical. Who knows? I'll, maybe I'll add in a MIDI or something. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we're all we're all learning. We're all learning. Uh, Kira, where can we find you? Anything you want to plug? Look. Um. Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, my TikTok and Instagram are both uh, Kira Benson official, and um, I'm also on like Spotify and all major streaming platforms under Kira Benson. So, if you want to listen to the music I've put out and uh, hear the music that I'm working on now, when I get that out in a couple months, um, yeah, I would I would love to connect with you and check that out. Everyone, please listen to their music because it's really good. I have listened to it. Uh, Thank you Nigel. all so much. <laughs> Nigel, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on mainly on Twitter at Spicy Nigel, where I have tweeted about I've tweeted about the new tattoos I've gotten, and I've also tweeted um, about uh, how I girl bossed my first boba tea that I got today. I girl bossed it. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's that's you girl bossed you. Your girl boss too close to the sun. Allie, you beat me to the reference. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. It's such a funny sound. I I literally quoted that um today when that happened, but for an entirely different story, which I cannot get into on the podcast. <laughs> uh, but just I uh, cannot re I cannot reveal too much details, 
but I girl bossed a bit too close to the sun on that one, okay? Nice. Uh, also, you can find y'all me. Should... Sorry, here. I was gonna say, um, y'all should definitely follow Allie on their TikTok because I want to go live with her, and she needs a thousand followers to do that. So, like, <laughs> anyone listening, let let's make that happen so Allie and I can go live on TikTok. I definitely How recommend get... their TikTok. Hashtag get Allie one thousand. Yes. Yeah, she needs one thousand. You can find you can find me on on TikTok at Ali A L L Y dot cast with a K ninety nine. I think that's my TikTok name. Um, it is. I've looked uh, you, it up right now. You, nice. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Ali Cat underscore Ali spelled like Alleyway Cat spelled with a K. Or I've mainly just tweeted about it being by Visibility Week as we record this. And you can find me on Instagram at Ali, A-L-L-Y underscore K underscore Keegan, where I don't post a lot unless I'm skating. You can find the podcast at HyperFixationsP on Twitter. Or at HyperFixationsPod on Instagram. Rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts, be that Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Carved into a Pumpkin, wherever. Uh, if you would like to come onto the show to discuss one of your hyperfixations, please feel free to reach out at any of the aforementioned social media. And that is all for this week. Kira, it was an absolute delight to have you on. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Signing off.